So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. I love that right. Kendra would just go into the ship and just start like getting <laughs> samples from people. Oh, heck yeah. It's like, and, and they'd be like, see, this is why the humans are a little bit annoying. They just come right in and they just take over as opposed to like at least chit-chatting for a minute before you start taking swaps. I kind of liken myself to Grace from Avatar. Like she's like, I need to get samples wherever she is, you know? Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. I got with me Paul Mercurio. Paul, welcome back to Star Talk. All right, great to be back. Great to see you, buddy. How are you? All right, Paul's a professional comedian. You're an Emmy, and I just learned also a Peabody Award winner. You never told me that. You get an Emmy just for being funny, but you get a Peabody Award for being funny with purpose with intellect and with intellect <laughs> why are you laughing that i don't have an intellect no, no i didn't know that's not no you know no that's not why <laughs> i know i do. look just congratulations it's, I, I think peabody we've always counted that among the highest possible awards someone can get uh who's got stuff on online or on tv or uh or in video so yep. congratulations on that thank you yeah. Yeah. and you perform regularly on the late show with stephen colbert so mm -hmm. we're uh, great to have you here. Yeah. Always and by the good. way, if I can just mention, um, I'm taking my Broadway show out on national tour called Permission to Speak. And December 29th, it's going to be in Orlando at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. I know, I know that, that yeah, facility. Yeah, it's a beautiful yes, venue. Yes. They let anybody yes. in there if they let me in. And, uh, <laughs> December so, 29th, 2023. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so people can go to my website, paulmercurio.com, and get tickets and come out. And if you buy tickets, my son can get that kidney that he needs. That's all I'm saying. Oh, like, oh okay. Care, the, okay. If, there if you go. want a, If you want a kid to live, leave a, lead a normal life, you'll come to my show. <laughs> no, anyway, and you, thank you. Got you. A and you got a podcast called Inside Out with Paul Mercurio. Which you've been and on. You, and, and on your list of guests, Paul McCartney, Spike mm. Lee, Kevin Costner, many others. Mm -hmm. And someone named Neil Tyson was on your show one time, too. Yeah, there just, was a lot just, of weeping during that episode. <laughs> you would, he would talk, and then he would cry, and it'd be like, I have to hug him. No, no, yeah, we had yeah. a great conversation. We talked about black matter, and it was the best. No such thing called dark matter. Now. Dark it, so apparently, it didn't. I didn't educate you at all. Okay, see, you should have just. Okay. Can, can you <laughs> no such thing as black matter. No, There's black holes and slide, dark matter. Just let it no. slide and pretend you no. didn't hear it. Black holes and dark matter. There's no black matter. Okay. Just so you know. Okay? Let's retake this whole thing. Black lives matter, but no black matter. <laughs> all right. 
So, so today it's Cosmic Queries, and we're going to talk about astrobiology. We don't talk about that subject enough. And so we're going to bring a returning guest, Kenda Lynch. Kenda, welcome back to Star Talk. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> excellent, excellent. You're a staff scientist at the Lunar and Planetary Institute, the LPI, mm-hmm. just outside of Johnson Space Center in Planet Houston. And <laughs> yes. we, we, you're an astrobiologist, mm-hmm. and we, we have you on primarily to talk about a new NASA project called Plant Trek. Now, we all know Star Trek. <laughs> Plant Trek sounds a little derivative, but uh, <laughs> investigating strategies. But I got the wait, I got the, 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 the line here. Investigating strategies for regolith preconditioning to a sport, support establishment of plant microbe systems in Martian habitats. I now, wrote that, I, by the way. No, he did in English. You're welcome. Oh, thank, you. Okay. thank you, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> so, Kenneth, don't ever repeat that phrase on this show. <laughs> ever. Okay? <laughs> Just, <laughs> now, what the hell is a regolith? I think I know. But it sounds like you've been hanging out with geologists too long. So, let's, let's give us in plain English what Plant Trek is and what your relationship is to the project. Plant Trek is, um, what we're trying to do with Plant Trek is we're trying to figure out how to live on Mars and grow our own food on Mars using in situ resources or basically Martian regolith. We can't call it dirt or soil because it doesn't have microbes in it that we know of. So anything that doesn't have life in it is regolith that we define in the geology, geological terms as regolith. And so Martian... Wait, wait, so, so your roots are in... Biology, astronomy, or geology, or all of the above? I wear a lot of hats. So my actual bachelor's degrees, I have two because I'm crazy, and I got two at University of Illinois at the same time. My bachelor's degrees are in um, engineering and biology, and I designed my secondary field in engineering to focus on what's called advanced life support systems. So back when I was doing engineering and I was an engineer, I learned about how to develop life support systems for astronauts. And back then we were talking about something called bioregenerative life support systems or closed loop life support systems. Ways to basically take Earth with us and recycle the things, use plants to help us make air, help us clean our water, help us grow our food. Without needing a supply ship. Without needing, without a, supply needing a supply ship, ship or any kind of resupply because okay. relying on a two-year turnaround for resupply from Earth is going to really suck if you're living on Mars. You don't want to have to right. do that. All right, now these, are, now these are tools and things. So how does astrobiology relate to this? Well, that's an interesting thing that I discovered. And I am, and you asked about my relationship to it. I am the principal investigator. This is um, one of the projects the that I got funded. Yes, I'm the PI. I got this funded with NASA to test this process that me and my colleagues came up with. And wait, wait, wait. So, so your PI, so yes. it is your fault that it has that title. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we just call it Plant Trek, and yes, there's a T-shirt, and you should have my logo Fine. somewhere. You should Listen, have my logo. Can I there. just propose this? I work at CBS. I think this is a drama. It's called Regolith, Regolith PI, and then you show up. <laughs> Good one. I love it. You got a Good shovel and a hat and a thing, and then there's a plant. But we'll, so, we'll so Regolith. So when I reach into the soils of Earth, mm-hmm. there, well, I don't see it but it is teeming with microbes. Millions enable, and millions of microbes that have made that soil possible. Yes. That enables plant life to grow in it. So if I go to the moon, I can still grab up a handful of dirt 
or on Mars, but there's no microbes in it, so you don't call it dirt. No, we don't call it dirt. We call it regolith because it because dirt. And we don't even you know. And if you talk to a soil scientist, they hate the D word. They don't like it called dirt. They like it to be soil. I've learned this from my colleagues, who's the soil oh, scientist. So the it's D soil. Word. She, oh. They call it the D word. I didn't know dirt was a four letter word, but apparently for this science, Man. it is. Wow. wow. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So now what? So tell me how how astrobiology fits in. Well, astrobiology fits in because one of the things that we learned is that you know. Mars, what we know from all of our missions to both the moon and Mars is that the lunar regolith and the Martian regolith have a lot of interesting things in them. They have a lot of like heavy metals. They have a lot of iron. They have a lot of um, uh, lunar soil has a lot of titanium. Martian soil has a lot of iron and sulfur. The big thing about Mars is we have a thing called perchlorate in it. And perchlorate is something that there's more of it in Martian regolith than there is on the highest site on Earth, um, which would be the Atacama Desert. And perchlorate is a really cool molecule that does cool things that we like to use it for spaceflight, like to mail solid rocket engines. But wait, for, wait, 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 wait. You say that, wait, wait. The highest spot on Earth is Mount Everest. So what do you mean the Atacama The highest Desert? concentration of perchlorate oh, is in oh, the Atacama Oh, God, Desert. so highest, not the highest elevation. Yeah, no, the okay, highest concentration. Sorry. I am sorry. Because the, <laughs> the Atacama Desert is a very high elevation. It is. We have telescopes there for that yes. reason. Yes. So that, I was confused there. But okay, it, thank you for clarifying. It is the highest concentration of perchlorate because it is one of the driest places on the planet. And perchlorate mm-hmm. um, accumulates, naturally perchlorate is raining actually all over, out, all over the planet all the time. It's generated in the atmosphere using photochemistry with ozone. It, it the photochemistry reactions with ozone make perchlorate, and it rains out all over the planet. But it only accumulates. Wait, wait, wait. So what is the what is the whole molecule perchlorate? It's perchlorate. Some, it has got some... one little um, um, chlorine atom in the mount in, in the center, surrounded by four big oxygen atoms. And oh, it's only chlorine and oxygen. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very okay. simple. Come on, Neil. Everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, come on, Neil. I mean, what up? I can't, I can't, I can't work like this. <laughs> he's okay. always, I'm sorry, he's always playing catch up on this stuff. Okay, all right. So okay. perchlorate, I got you. Mm-hmm. So, so ozone gets you three oxygen molecules for free. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, then, and so, and and how many total is surrounding the chlorine? Four. So four for perchlorate. Four. And there's another one called got chlorate. It. It's just three, but we kind of focus on perchlorate right now because that's the. That's mm-hmm. the big one that 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 we care about the most right now. Even though, and why is that important? Um, because for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, it's important for humans because perchlorate likes is an is a contaminant that affects human health. Perchlorate is the perfect size to compete with iodine for binding on your thyroid. So if you have perchlorate in your system. It's going to knock that iodine out of the way and bind to your thyroid. And guess what? Your thyroid's not going to work too good. So if you're, if you, our bodies are just so stupid, they can't <laughs> right. figure out what <laughs> they don't know basic chemistry. Right, right, right. So it's just it's got the right affinity where it just likes to knock the iodine away. So if you're eating, let's say if you're eating Martian potatoes that were grown in the Martian yeah, like dirt, like Matt, Matt Damon did, Matt Damon, right? Yeah, those are poop potatoes. They are poop potatoes, yeah. but remember he 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 planted them in the ground in Mars, an actual Mars regolith ground. Which there would have been perchlorate in those in those regoliths. Oh, even though he mixed it with poop, he didn't take care of the perchlorate. So if he had eaten those poop potatoes, uh, other than the fact that they're poop potatoes, he would have been ingesting perchlorate like all the time because perchlorate is so mobile. It would have actually been uptaken probably into the potato. And he and honestly, the bottom line is, if he'd eaten those potatoes, we would have killed Matt Damon. I mean, Matt Damon would have just oh. died. Also, yeah. the idea <laughs> that like it, it, a group of people, in all seriousness, couldn't eat those potatoes because. 
the poop has his pathogens in it, which be fine well, for yeah. him, but wouldn't work for exactly. others. Exactly. There right? are some other issues with regards to the pathogenic and, and aspects of it. I know this because as a hobby, I freeze dry my waste, <laughs> just as a hobby. But the point is that, in all seriousness, it would not have worked as a concept, okay? Not, because, not without some bioremediation, which is one of the things that we try to do when we develop what we call biological life support, bioregenerative life support systems. We remediate things. We try to clean up things and make them safe before we use them to grow our food. And the first thing we're trying to do with Plant Trek is we're trying to deal with this big, this big, perchlorate elephant in the room, which is what do we do with the fact that there is up to 1%, in some cases, 2% weight by weight perchlorate in the Martian regolith. And if we're going to use that regolith to help us grow food, we need to figure out what to do with that perchlorate. So that's what we're trying to answer. The moon is is at least as dry as Mm -hmm. Mars. Why doesn't the moon have the same amount of perchlorate in it? Well, that is a good question. It's probably because, first of all, the moon doesn't really have an atmosphere. And so perchlorate on Mars is probably awesome. There's a lot of chlorine on Mars because of all the volcanism on Mars. So there's a lot more chlorine on Mars and there was a lot of, you know... Volcanism from from long ago. From long ago, but still put a lot of chlorine on there. And we're not sure if... It's not quite the same process because there's not a lot of ozone on Mars, right? But we we think it's more surface grain chemistry or other kind of chemistry, maybe even when, when there was... Um, you know, surface or groundwater that made that perchlorate. Probably the biggest theory is probably surface type grain chemistry, all along with radiation, like impacting it, causing like surface chemistry happening. The radiation, you mean uh, high energy light from yes. the sun? Yeah, high energy yes. photons okay. hitting. You know, right. all so the high energy they, photons right. coming in. Yeah. Just a quick question. There was a there was a, a, a an experiment done in China in laboratories with lunar soil, where they grew uh, a certain. This is not a quick of- question. Of certain shade of tobacco, and, and just a long question. Okay, and, then were they, and would they? And would is that tobacco? Is that experiment? Was that experiment able? Is that is there any help that we've gotten from that for what you're doing in terms of what they were? They they used three forms of bacteria to grow this sort of strain of tobacco. Anything from that study um, that it, helps? It does because it's interesting because there's a lot of different um, yes and no. So no on the fact that we're really not going to try to encourage tobacco use on the moon or Mars. So I know, no. I know, Paul. <laughs> not really. Get that news ti- story for the type of plant that they chose. <laughs> <laughs> Nicotine addicts on Mars? What are you, right. Paul? Well, listen, uh, you're going to have a cigarette stand everywhere, so why not? Paul. <laughs> but, but from the standpoint of that they tried different bacteria to try to imp- improve the lunar regolith and to try to create um, a good community with the regolith, yes, that was very helpful. I've, I've seen that study. Um, and um, we're starting to move into some of the lunar regolith work too. But right now, one of our first things with Plant Trek and what we were funded to do is kind of solve that perchlorate issue. And and the reason astrobiology ties in is because right. one of the things that I realized when I started thinking about life support systems with my colleagues again and things is that I learned so much about extreme environments and extreme microbes. And I actually happened to have this 2019 uh, astrobiology paper where we discovered perchlorate-reducing microbes in a Mars analog environment, you know? Oh, just happened oh, to have that. And I was like, you know, oh, what if we microbes from that environment and applied it to, you know, and, and test it and see if we could take, you know, um, Martian simulant that we preloaded with a simulated per, with perchlorate and we simulated actual Martian regolith. What if we took those bugs out of that environment and put them in Martian regolith to see if they could process all that perchlorate out? So, so, so Kenneth, this is a tiny part of the cog in the wheel of terraforming, isn't it? 
it, oh, you're using the T word. Oh. The T word. I'm oh saying. <laughs> if you want to make Mars good enough for, you know, for prime time. Right. You got to fix everything up. Mm-hmm. You got to, you got to, you need, and so you can put your microbes to work. You can have a microbe cocktail. You set it loose. Some will produce the ozone. Others will take out the perchlorate. Others will make the soil, whatever. <laughs> others will poop where you need it with the right kind of poop. Not not Paul's poop. Paul's poop won't grow anything. <laughs> uh, Neil, uh, uh, Neil, I'm glad you're getting excited, but I need to rein, reel you in because we got this little thing called oh, planetary sorry. protection. And we don't want to do that yet because we're still trying to find out if Mars has its own life on it. But oh, okay. we do want to be able to support human life. We don't want to kill our Matt Damons. We want to keep our Matt Damons alive. So, mm-hmm. so we do want to try to figure out ways to use in situ resources because, like I said, that supply chain issue of two years—that's serious. It's even worse than the pandemic. Maybe, also, you maybe. should stay in the character and call him Mark Watney. Okay? <laughs> Watney so that's, that's fair. I'm just saying. We've had Andy Weir as a guest on Star Talk. Fair enough. And he would Mark want Watney. you to call him Mark Watney. Fair enough, Mark Watney. We don't want to kill our Mark Watneys. <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. So, so, Paul, this is a Cosmic Queries, and you've got questions for Kenda. I do, yeah. We're going to jump right in here. Yeah. I haven't seen them. I don't think Kenda's seen them. No, so. I haven't seen a single thing. <laughs> yeah. So, Kenda, occasionally they drift into the universe. I'm happy to take those if you if it's like drifts away from your planned expertise. But otherwise, they're all for you. So, let's, let's go. That works. <laughs> well, this first one's appropriate based on what we were just talking about. So, this is from Dennis. Greetings, humans. This is Dennis from Indiana. Dr. Lynch, you, were you ever approached by filmmakers for technical 
support when they were shooting The Martian? No, oh. that's a good question. But no, I was still in grad school when they were shooting The Martian. So, <laughs> oh. no. <laughs> uh, okay, but I if think, they were shooting it today, you, no reason why you wouldn't be Yeah, if they were shooting it today, I would give tech support any day of the week. That would be That would be fun. Yeah, but then you would have ruined the poop potato because you'd yeah. say, that can't happen. Cut, cut. You would have had a big fight with Ridley Scott. That would have been a whole right, thing. right. Well, that, oh, to just right. have a duke out with Ridley Scott. That's a dream come true. Right, I'm just saying. Um, I'm I gave technical advice on the movie on how to kill any living plant known to man ever. Oh, so I'm that guy. So uh, I can't grow air plants. Okay, that's how bad I am. I mean, they, they even um, skipped over the whole planetary protection issue about wondering about life on Mars. I mean, there were so many things astrobiology relevant that they right. just issues, skipped over. Issues, yeah, but yeah. but yeah. you know, you sit next to my friends who were both ge- a planetary geologist and then a, you know a, a you know a, a flight systems engineer. When I went to go see the movie, and all of us were going, nope. Nope, <laughs> on different parts of the no, movie. <laughs> but we had fun. We thought it was fun. It was the closest movie that got close to, you know, accuracy on the science and the engineering. So we love it. We have yeah, fun. We science, love it. science was its own character in that film. It was. So it really was. I, I yeah. praise it for that. Absolutely. And that's the, film, that's the film where science became a verb. There you go. Hmm. I'm going to science the hmm. out of this. Ah, I'm going to science the <laughs> shit out of this, right? There you go. Two, two <laughs> science. That's what Matt Damon <laughs> yeah. uttered in the film. Okay. Two science, uh, yeah. What else you got, Paul? Okay, uh, Andy Weber. Hey, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Lynch, and Dr. Mercurio. Wow, oh, all right. Uh, I just added that. This is Andy. <laughs> see, he got an honorary PhD from... Yeah, from the, from the Daily Show. Uh, <laughs> this is Andy from Edmonton, Alberta. I'm a big fan of the movie um, uh, The Martian. And in that movie, Mark uh, Watney, see, he did it, mm-hmm. right? Is able to plant uh, uh, potatoes on Mars using Martian dirt, water, and human waste. Would this be possible? Uh, how could this be more realistic? Thank you so much. Love the show. So let's unpack that. So, so we, are, we are told that solid excrement is fertilizer. It's an entire in- cottage industry in the farming universe for just that. So let me ask you, What's the difference between human poop and horse poop, all right, for in terms of fertilizer? Second, what does the perchlorate matter if he's completely embedded the, the potato uh, seeds or the eyes of the potato in poop? Then why does the rest of the perchlorate matter? Well, so, uh, okay, so let's unpack that completely. So first, um, the difference between perchlorate poop and, like, horse poop. Well, horses eat a lot more grass and a lot more, like, vegetarian diet, whereas humans tend to eat meat and other things. So our No, poop- no, just get the poop of vegetarian humans. Well, That's all. Matter. <laughs> Line them up. No matter, no. no matter what you Do you have- know how annoying that poop would be? <laughs> Oh my God! It'd be looking down its nose at the other poop. Judgment oh, everywhere animal. from the vegetarian. No, that's the vegan poop that would have the judgment. Oh, that's true. Right, 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 right. The vegan poop. Mm. Mm. Well, of course you. Of course, the percolate is a problem for you because you're not a vegan poop. Mm. So how do you make? How do you make the? The, the Mark Watney scenario work. I think in the end, that's what we really um, want to know. I mean, so how we make the, the the scenario work is how we do things here on Earth. We do we we add a few more things in between the poop and 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 the plants that make the whole loop, right? So we get the plant, we get the poop, and we process it a little bit. We get the right microbes eating it, the microbes that are making things that we like, like you know, like night you know nitrates and things like that that we want to put in the soil. We get that in there, and then we can then turn and we make sure we get rid of the, the microbe, the bugs that could make people sick or like could kill 
are helpful bugs because there are unhelpful bugs that could take over. And we don't want that. So we want to make sure that we have a good microbial, we want to make sure we have a good poop microbiome. Just because this microbe will do task A and this microbe will do task B Mm -hmm. doesn't mean A plus B will work because A could eat B, is um, what you're saying. Oh yeah, and we and we want to make sure that we have a good population of A, a through Z that are going to be happy and keep, like, if A is the bad guy that could really make a human sick, we want A under control. A is always going to be there. I mean, like, for example, E. coli okay, is everywhere. Okay, so you know, you know the kindergarten joke, why was six afraid of seven? Because <laughs> seven, eight, nine. <laughs> yes, because seven, eight, nine. <laughs> that's that's like gotcha. safe for kindergarten. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> so if you got microbes, you don't want microbes eating other microbes. No. They all have a tag. Or just taking okay. over and taking all the resources. What they do is they may not eat the other microbe, but they may be like, see all these resources? They're all mine. And then they deny it from the other microbes and the other microbes die of starvation. So you don't want that. So you, you want to make sure. You can genetically modify some of these microbes to make them what you want them to be? We can, but we, 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 you know, we can. And there are folks that work on that. We're trying to, but microbes are pretty smart. Every time we think we got microbes understood, they go, yeah, here, hold my beer, watch this. You know, so every time we think we got them understood, but they're pretty smart and they know how to organize themselves in a way to be optimal for the environment they're in. So we're trying to learn, at least on Plant Trek, we're trying to learn how microbes from an extreme environment, like how could they organize themselves in a, in a, in a Mars simulated environment? How could they organize themselves to deal with perchlorate in a simulated environment? So that's what we want to try to do. So to get back to this unpack question is, yeah, we want we want to use that poop. That poop is good. It's got nutrients. We just want to make sure that we control, we, we get the we get the rough guys under control and we put them back in. And then um, we want to make sure, and the reason that the chlorine still matters is, if you saw, um, Mark Watney still put the potatoes in the ground where that regolith still had perchlorate in it. And perchlorate is super mobile. It goes wherever water is. It's really water soluble. So you put in water, it's wherever the water goes, it's going to go. So if you put, if you water your potatoes and there is perchlorate in the regolith, it's going to dissolve into the water and it's going to get uptaken by the roots of the potatoes and then get concentrated in the potatoes. So you don't want got it, that. Got it. And I just was reminded, I reminded myself of the periodic table of elements mm-hmm. where elements that appear in a vertical column have similar external, uh, 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 similar electron configurations in their outermost shell, which means they make similar families of molecules mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. So, and iodine is right there below chlorine mm-hmm. in its own, in their exactly. column. So wherever iodine goes, chlorine can go. Right. And there you have it. And that's right. why they have the similar affinities. And that's why it can just kind of go, excuse me, iodine, boop, and knock it out of the way. Right. And we right. don't want that because right. then you're going to be hypothyroid and you're going to be tired and lethargic. And then, you know, things are going to be bad. You can, get, you can gen- generate heart disease. If you have low thyroid, there's a lot of negative effects of low thyroid. And if you have chronically okay. low thyroid, it can lead to really bad stuff, including the big D word. You know. Mm-hmm. Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> we can't have two D words in one show that's that are different. Too much. Stick with one D word. Fair enough. Right. Are there any insects in the, in, in the uh, that trans that translate to Mars that we can use like insects here that could sort She's of got microbes? Some, if you have microbes, you don't need insects. Yeah, yeah. Insects I mean, are microbes, hugely microscopic objects that are, mm-hmm. you know. Microbes right. will do everything for you, right? Well, ideally, right now we're kind of focusing on microbes. I mean, and, right. and insects are, are, are again, that's another type of things like insects. Or, I mean, on Earth, um, you know, earthworms are very much a part of soil, right? But you know, we have, and there are those that have worked on trying to add earthworms to like lunar and Martian regolith. But it takes a lot of work to keep them alive, <laughs> and you have to add them a little later after you've kind of 
already pre-processed the regolith with like microbes first, but then you can eventually add like earthworms and things like that to the, to, to the regolith to kind of help them get that Aerated. regolith going into soil, right? But yeah, yeah. it Again, takes a little that's work. Part of the ter- part of the terraforming. Yeah. I'm you. yeah. <laughs> right. but let's just, we're going to keep it the in the T word. We're going to keep it in the habitat for now. We're going to try to keep it in the yeah. habitat so that the astrobiologists okay. can still look for life on Mars outside the habitat. So right. All <laughs> we're going to try to keep right. it in the habitat for now. <laughs> so right. Paul, this give me more. From, yeah. Artilus, this is the artist formerly known as James Smith. Hello all. <laughs> James from Indianapolis here. So Kenda, in the movie Arrival, what do you think the best course of action would have been had they given someone with your knowledge and background uh, when when the aliens showed up? Thanks. Have a great okay, day. Okay, so there are two Arrival movies. One of them had Charlie Sheen. Right. It was back in the 90s. And that mm-hmm. I think they probably mean the more recent one uh, right. where the aliens put these vertical ships around the world. And then they got, and they got a physicist and a linguist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They did. And I would have picked... And I tweeted this, and I, I I got jumped all over because first, social media is a cesspool. Second, you know, <laughs> how, how often how often do linguists ever get portrayed in movies? Right? right. I said instead of a linguist and a and a and a physicist, they should have had an astrobiologist and a cryptographer. That's what I said. All right, and but then I then I felt bad because you know give the linguist some. <laughs> Some, you know, cut them, just casting shade on the linguist. So, what would you have done in that case? Well, as a scientist with astrobiology cred, I would have said, let me go take samples and listen to the linguist. They're figuring something out. <laughs> wait, wait, take samples? You'd go up to the septipod <laughs> and then say, excuse me, let me cut some of your flesh away. Right. No, like, I just analyze like, it can, in can my you, lab. Just you, do a little touch, swab. Can you just, you can just, I just swab? Can I just swab <laughs> one of your like tentacles? That's all I would have <laughs> done. Like, can I swab your tentacles? That's all I would have done. Like, can Open I, the can side I, of your head, and I want to swab. You know, <laughs> swab. I just would want to. Yeah, that's all I want to do. I was or, like, or give me some of that ink or whatever you're drawing with, right? right? How about that? Or just okay. swab the exactly. spaceship. I would have just taken some spots of the spaceship and just. Yeah, for those who didn't see the film, <laughs> aliens arrived in these pods all around the world. I don't know how many locations there were, and we focused on the one that landed in the United States. There might have been several in the United States. I don't remember, and. Of course, the military is there, mm-hmm. and they've got to coordinate it off. And we learn that these aliens, to them, time is a loop mm-hmm. rather than a linear thing. And so, so, and they play with your your head about that, right. about <laughs> uh, events that happen either before or after. But if time is a loop, there is no before or after. There just is. Right. And so, so that's that's where they tried to take that. Yeah. Well, and they and they did a lot of interesting thing about. Um, there was a, a other underlying message about common language and commonness and, and understanding and communication being key, which when we're talking about searching for for intelligent life, which is something we do do in astrobiology, we look for technosignatures. Technosignatures. We try to look for signs of intelligent life either in the past, especially if we're getting signatures from hundreds of light years away. We know that that, that happened you know, in the past, that civilization may not be there anymore. But And we and we try to look for any kind of signs of like techno, you know, technosignatures, even... You know, um, I would say nearby, but not. You know, they actually, for the first time, commissioned that 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 committee on what is it? UAEs, unexplained uh, events, or aerial 
Yeah, UA, uh, UAP, UAPs, UAPs, unexplained aerial phenomena. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, they're actually starting to re- to think about, you know, from a policy perspective, maybe we're not alone anymore, you know? So maybe people are starting to think about that from that perspective. And that is something that we do have astrobiologists that think about that. Um, so like I said, I, I would have, I would have been all about getting samples and trying to understand their, you know, their microbiome or their, you know, their genetics or lack thereof. Like, what are they made of? How did they come to be? So here we are talking about swabbing the alien so we can study it. Whereas in the film, Nope, mm-hmm. which was like a alien horror film, basically. Yes. Oh the my alien God. is sucking people up from earth. And while it never says it explicitly, it's pretty clear. They're getting eaten. It's, it's like a giant. Them, it's a giant jellyfish kind of thing, just eating it and like digesting and, them. And, yeah, and, and digesting you while you're in its yeah. in its digestive canal. And so, in that case, it is swabbing us. Just, right. yeah. <laughs> just taste it, taking a little taste, and you know, at certain things it didn't like, it would spit back out. Right? It spit <laughs> back out. It yeah. spit back out. But then, but it begs the question. It answers the question that we are not alone in the universe. There are other humans because if they like humans and that's what they eat. How did they survive until they got to us to eat us, right? So they well, had they to be eating they, other... They were just unhappy campers eating lesser food. Or, or maybe well, so if, like they chicken or fish, they didn't care. <laughs> they'd go either way. <laughs> or, you know, deer, wolves, bears. You yeah, know, yeah. Whatever, you know. They're too gamey. Humans yeah. are nice and Well, they fun. were eating horses yeah. for a while, it seemed like, in the yeah. show. You know, they were eating a lot of, hollow, a lot of horses. <laughs> I love that right. Kendra would just go into the ship and just start like getting samples <laughs> from people. Oh, heck yeah. It's like... And and they'd be like, see, this is why the humans are a little bit annoying. They just come right in and they just take over, as opposed to like at least chit chatting for a minute before you start taking swabs. I kind of liken myself to Grace from Avatar. Like she's like, I need to get samples wherever she is, you know. <laughs> right, right. If you're a scientist, yeah. You know, there's a there's a there's a fun science comic mm-hmm. where someone you know connects these two electrodes and there's a spark. Mm-hmm. And they get shocked, and they said, "Boy, I'm never doing that again." And then another person comes up, connects them. They get sparked and said, wow, I wonder if that happens every time. (laughs) That's the scientist. (laughs) Uh. Yes. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hi, Paul. Keep going. All right. This is, this is Captain James Riley. Seasons and greetings from Houston. I was wondering what percentage of Mars... Soil regolith rock is seeming to work best in your soil mixes for healthy plants. And what kind of composition are we dealing with uh, with Mars rock powder? I suppose you won't have uh, to supplement iron. No. Um, oh, good. Good question. Good, and let me add great to that. question. Really good question. And let me just add to that. that um, Kenda, remind me, which mission intentionally landed at the boundary between the receding ice cap? Phoenix. And Phoenix, Phoenix mission, yeah. the Phoenix mission. That was so Phoenix. that one is finding Martian regolith soils that are right, that are damp, and maybe there's some action there. Yeah. Well, that, right. So that's, that's a yeah. that's that's a place. Right. That's a place. And uh, and the captain duly noted that uh, Mars has way more iron than the Moon does. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and which gives it its rusty color, I mm-hmm. think. Right? Yeah, because it gets o- it gets oxidized that. from that. Like I said, that 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 radiation, like the surface is very oxidized because of the the heavy, you know, the heavy, you know, radiation particles and things like that. That's where we get that red color mm-hmm. from the iron and solar, solar wind. Oxidation. Solar wind. Yeah. Continue. Yes. Okay. It's from that. Yes. Okay, so it's a great Frank so, Sinatra movie, by the way, buzz <laughs> song, by the way, Frank Solar Wind. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> to answer his question, great question. And that's the beautiful thing is that Martian regolith has so many beautiful things that we love it. It has that iron, so we don't need iron. It has sulfur. It actually has, you know, it has it has a little bit of organic carbon, but it also has carbonates. Um, it has a little bit of nitrates, like um, biologically available nitrogen is nitrates, not a lot, but it has nitrogen in its atmosphere, which is good. Um we have a lot of other elements. We have some phosphorus. We have we have all these other elements that we need, um, and it does have a little bit of oxygen. What it also what do has- we do? What do we do with phosphorus? Because you know, I, my my first encounter with phosphorus was like phosphorus bombs, right? And so it's oh, we need phosphorus for our health. What is it doing in our body? Phosphate backbone, DNA. The whole really? DNA oh. backbone is phosphate. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so what you should have says- said. It, what you should have said is the whole backbone of the DNA. Stupid. Okay. Let's do, <laughs> let, let's do that again. Let's do that again. Uh, so, so Kenda, like, no, I forgot you. what the why we need. Do we need phosphates? Why? Okay. And then you go. Uh, DNA backbone, Doctor Tyson. No. <laughs> no. Let's do it again. Do it again. Do it again. No, I'll do it. No, 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 no. I'll do it. You ask the question. You answer. I'll okay. tag it. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Okay. So good. So Kenda, why do we need phosphate again? I don't have to understand. Um uh it's our it's our it's it's the part of the DNA backbone. Phos- the phosphate backbone is fundamental to, to, to the creation of DNA. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So now I'm, I'm caught up. I'm all caught up now. So if someone says you okay. have no backbone, they're saying you have no phosphate. That's your phosphorus depleted, you know. You depleted, yeah. I got you. Um, so, um, um, so yeah, we, it has a lot of the different. It has like the the chomps or sponge. It has like a lot of the different things. It has hydrogen. It has all of those things. From a mineralogical standpoint, from the actual regolith, like the rock, it's in the rock. We have lots of clay. We like clay in Earth. We actually have clay and earthen because clay helps do a lot of things. Clay has activated surfaces, so it lets things bind to it and it does mm. cation exchange. Cation exchange is very important in soil for, for plant growth. Um, clay absorbs water. It can hang on to water. So it can, you know, clays swell when they have water. So they're very good for water retention in the soil so that that water, so we don't have overwatering and we don't drown our plants, but then we have a, an access to water that the plants can take, uh, take for a period of time. And then we also have... Um, and believe it or not, and I'm still not quite sure why this works. I'm assuming it's the calcium, but gypsum. There's actually here on Earth, they actually, to help certain um, soils, um, certain um, plots of agriculture improve their growth yield, they will actually like go out and lay out gypsum and add and mm. supplement the gypsum. I, I think it has something to do with the calcium supplementation and the calcium and the sulfate. Okay. And the sulfate probably gets used by microbes, but the calcium is an, an essential element that the, the plants need. And so those two, those two um, minerals are two things that we have in abundance on Mars. <laughs> and, and remind me, gypsum is, is that the softest item on that, on that hardness oh, on scale? The, on the hardness scale, on the Mohs hardness scale. Oh my God. Mohs hardness scale. I, I think gypsum gonna, was down there. It's pretty soft. I don't remember. I want talc. Talc. I, I, I don't think know. Talc yeah. and carbonates are softer, but you know what? 
I don't remember my mineralogy very well. Oh, because I didn't. I didn't take it officially. I, I'm a just in time learner. I learned my mineralogy on my own. Well, okay. if you don't remember that, why is anything you say we should take anything you say seriously? Because <laughs> I do have degrees in biology and engineering. <laughs> there you and, go. <laughs> and environmental microbiology. <laughs> uh, all right, another one. All right, time for just a couple more. Yeah. All right, we can Mary Lee. In. Mary Lee Dewey. This is the subject I've been waiting for. I'm a high school biology teacher, and this discussion comes up a lot. We've been studying the Miller-Urey experiment. My question is, what do you think is the actual probability our atmosphere could be recreated on another planet, like artificially? Mm. Like artificially, like... I'm trying to understand... I think I I understand. If we catch people up on the Miller and Urey experiment, so... So Miller and Urey, two, they, were they both chemists? One may have been a biologist working at the University of Chicago. This is back in the late 50s, early 60s. They put a mixture of certain base ingredients that we expected to find on Earth. They put in what we think was the early atmosphere on Earth, and they put a spark across that air which, as an energy source. They, then they went away and came back, and when they came back, they found amino acids mm-hmm. formed spontaneously in that in that primordial soup, basically, mm-hmm. that they were creating. And so, again, this is very terraforming-like. So I think the question is, can we set something loose that will then create the atmosphere that we now know and love on Earth, but on another planet? So there's there's a couple problems that, 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 that my terraforming friends sometimes don't remember, and that's that Mars does not have a, a magnetic shield anymore. We don't have the our, we don't have an electromagnetic we don't have a, a dynamo anymore so we don't have that electro uh, magnetic radiation protection so um, our atmosphere is being constantly stripped away so I I'm not I'm not 100 confident that we could do that but there are a lot of concepts for how we'd have to basically build up the atmosphere and how we'd have to like get things in the atmosphere to really kind of um, to get to get some some warmth. And to basically get some more radiation, there's there's a bunch of different concepts out there. So this amounts to geoengineering. And yeah, it's, it's geoengineering. And you got engineering chops, so this should be right up your alley. Yeah, I mean, from a theoretical standpoint, is it possible to? I don't know if we need to go all the way back to Miller Urey. What we need to do is we need to basically kind of make a simulated greenhouse effect. We need to get something in there to kind of get a controlled runaway greenhouse effect where we get enough of an atmosphere in there where we get enough heating from the, from the sun into that atmosphere where it generates heat and and you know thickens up the atmosphere on Mars and then we then we can actually have you know then we pump out some more oxygen and things like that so it, wait, wait, it so is we get possible. we get a spa- we get a space pipeline from all of our <laughs> energy generating plants and pump all the CO2 to Mars. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then, but Mars already has CO2 in its atmosphere, but it would increase yes. the concentration. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's how you do that. And Wait, then uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos can fight to see who controls the pipeline. That would be, this, <laughs> right. that would be the rest of that. <laughs> can you explain to me what the plan is to deal with the radiation on Mars? Like, so let's say we can grow something that supports life. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Have, have you thought about it? I assume you have. The, the effects of radiation on whatever you grow, and how do you how do you 
protect that. So the big thing that we look at is we look at habitat. We look at habitats. We look at building habitats, including like a Martian, like a Martian, like greenhouse. And those habitats would be, would have some level of, uh, some level of shielding to manage, to protect from the radiation, especially from things from the solar wind, GCRs, things like that. Um, one of the things that they looked at, they're looking at building partial habitats. They're looking at like Martian, you know, Mars has caves. They have possible lava tubes. They're looking at, you know, or places where we just Bury, you know, we use actually some of the Martian regolith and rock. Hide. Yeah, to hide. hide. You know, to kind of use it to kind of shield from all that radiation. But basically, you just kind of, part of part of that is you build that shielding into the plan. The other part is we look at how, we, we look at studies about how much radiation do we really need to shield the greenhouse? Like how much radiation before the plant, it really does, you know, cause plants to grow in a way that's not healthy and does it produce actual you know, nutritious, nutritious biomass and things like that. So, so that we can optimize, we can optimize how much shielding do we really need for the greenhouse versus like the hab where that humans are sleeping. If the greenhouse could take more radiation, we bet maybe don't make the greenhouse a shielded, you know? So those are some of the, the trades that uh, if, if I'm going at. to Mars, I'm, I'm bringing a satchel full of cheeseburgers. That's all. <laughs> I'm sorry. And and potatoes grown in the right poop. Right. In the right poop. In the my right. own damn poop. That's in your right. own poop. A fry later to your fry, your potatoes grown in their own damn poop. That would be the that would be that would be the advertisement on Mars. Potatoes grown in my own damn poop. Well, and then you have to grow the soybean oils to like make the soybean oil for frying your potatoes too in your own poop. So you're oh, frying yeah. them, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So oh, it's just, it's just now, like, it's your own poop cycle, right? Now you're getting the uh, vegans aroused with that old soybean oil stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we go on? Another yeah, yeah. Try, give me like one more. All right. One Colby more. Hyde. Hello, Dr. Sison. Colby Hyde from Colorado. My question is, Wait, Kenda, is, we can get two more if you answer this in half the time. Okay, so let's try it. fair enough. Okay, okay go. Uh, hello, Dr. Tyson. Uh, Kobe, hi, from Colorado. My question is, what is the coolest part about being an astrobiologist, which I guess would be for Kenda? What is the coolest part? And, and Kenda, by the way, astrobiology is a field that has no data. Let me just be clear about that. That's not true. We have, uh, we have ambiguous data from Viking. That's not true. <laughs> oh, it's still ambiguous data. Just say okay. it depends on how you define data, Dr. Tyson, and then it just creates a big open-ended answer. I just want to make it clear. There's an entire field of study out there that has the name of something it has yet to find. Yeah, but That's here's what. what you sound like. My field of expertise has data and yours doesn't. (laughs) That's what you sound like. You sound like a six-year-old. He's just jealous because we're getting all the funding right now. That's all. I know. (laughs) Totally getting all the funding. Um, What I love about astrobiology is I get to go all over the world and meet totally new crazy microbes and learn the extent of amazing things that life can figure out how to do. And I just think it's amazing that we don't even fully understand life here on Earth. And I think that's a fun part of my job. I think you're being modest. I think the best part of your job is looking down your nose at anybody's garden and going, really? You call that a tomato? Really? Well, let me show you my tomato. I grew this using mouse feces and some french fries from McDonald's. Beat that. On Mars. On Mars. On Mars. <laughs> on a Boy, subway you had Mars train. tomatoes? They would get prime. I grew, I, I grew that on the queue line in Manhattan. Beat that. <laughs> There's definitely some. Uh, all right, one more? <laughs> Last one, real fast. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do the best with this name. It's Boyuteb Badayu. Dear Mr. Doctors Neil and Kenda, uh, this gentleman is Boyuteb from Nice, south of France. 
What kind of interesting feature could we bring from a plant grown on Mars uh, and brought back to Earth? Could it be genetically more resilient to low luminosity, for example? Ooh, nice. Mm, that is so nice. Let, let me broaden that, and then you still have to answer it in half the time. Okay. Could studying life on Mars benefit life on Earth? 100%. Because give me your best way that could happen. Because we're having climate change here. We're killing our soil here on Earth, and we're going to have to figure out how to, in order to have food security, we're going to have to figure out ways to kind of help soil grow, whether it's open air or if we have to make our own giant greenhouses where we, where we basically process soil like we do on Mars to keep it healthy so we keep growing plants so we have food security. 100%. What you're saying is if we can grow plants on Mars, nothing can stop us from growing plants anywhere on Earth, even if there's a blight. Okay. 100%. All right. Yep. Well, that's all the time we have for it. You did two within one one question. Thank you. Two, two in each and half the time. Kenda, thanks for being back on Star Talk. It's been a delight to have you. And weren't you in a documentary recently? What was that? Uh, oh, I was in... Um, <laughs> um, the last one I was in was Alien Worlds. I was in Alien Worlds, episode two, Janus, where I went to Ethiopia to to study the um, the um, Dalal hydrothermal system and the poly-extreme environment there. And the micro. Okay, so hydrothermal is just heat from inside the earth. Correct. Warming. Warming some water. Area that does, and it's a source of energy that doesn't even need the sun. Nope. Right? So that right. would be whatever's thriving there is way more exotic on earth than anything else that just simply is founded on sunlight. Especially since they're living in a very acidic, salty environment that's also hot. That's like three, that's, that's yeah. a trifecta of, of extreme. Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Kendall, let me say, I think you're doing great work despite the fact that your uh, area of expertise has no data. I think you do great work. Don't you let anybody undercut you, young lady. Thank you're you. strong, you're powerful, your data uh, lacking, but other than that, you're you tell a me I sound like a sixth grader. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, Paul, good to have you, man. Yeah. I'm still waiting fun. for my next invitation for your for your for your podcast. Okay, uh, we'll get it going. All right. This has been another installment of Star Talk Cosmic Queries, the poop edition. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say dirt, whatever you do. <laughs> All right. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. <laughs>